0: Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. My guest today was actually a guest before and has come back to talk to me, Patrick Murphy. He has spent 30 years producing television programs for PBS, is a five-time Emmy Award winner. But most importantly, right now, we are going to talk about licorice. Hi, Patrick.
1: Hello, Mish, how are you?
0: I am good, and I'm very excited about this book that you have come out with because I am a huge fan of licorice, like by far my most favorite candy on earth.
1: Well, that's wonderful.
0: Memories, memories, memories of the whole Switzer's thing. So I was like, I have to talk to him. I have to know more. So tell me how this all came about.
1: Well, Switzer's licorice was just a big part of my life growing up my my father worked at the company and his father and brothers and my great-grandfather worked at the company he actually he actually started it with uh with Fred Switzer back in the 1880s so licorice and the and the factory and and you know all of that was just huge in 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 our family licorice was sort of a basic food group around our
0: house. I think it should remain that for most people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a kid, I spent a lot of time in the factory uh, down by the East Bridge. That, you know, the, the famous factory with the well, and then it seemed that as I as I you know told the story of switches liquors to people, uh, I was surprised by how many people knew the factory because of the big sign down there right. by the East Bridge, the big candy <laughs> sign. And then uh, the smell along the riverfront yes, for decades.
0: Exactly. I mean,
1: that was one of the sort of uh, hallmarks of St. Louis was the, the licorice smell down by the, down by the river. And uh, it's it, it just uh, sort of having the inside stories of how these two families, the Switzers and the Murphys, started this company. Switzer, by the way, although it sounds like a German name, the family originally came from German. They are Irish. So okay. it, yeah, so it's two Irish American families back in the 1880s starting this candy company and living in Cary Patch, which is the this horrible slum just north of uh, north of downtown, a little northwest of downtown, about where the car projects are now. And um,
0: it sounds so nice though. Carrie yeah. Patch sounds.
1: No, Carrie Patch was Risical. horrible. Yeah, Carrie, Carrie Patch was run by gangs. It was an oh all-Irish neighborhood. Okay. The Irish were sort of redlined back then. And you know, very, very unpopular to be Irish Catholic back then. Gotcha. There were signs up in the in the store and factory uh, gates saying no Irish need apply. And, wow. and if you look at the newspapers back then, the Irish are always depicted as as monkeys. So, I mean, they were up against a lot living in Perry Kerry Patch and trying to, you know, do something, you know, to get a little piece of the American dream. Exactly. And for them, candy was the way.
0: And yeah. licorice in particular.
1: Yeah, licorice after World War uh, after 1940, okay. they made all kinds of different candy, uh, all the way from when the candy started. Company started in the 1880s. They started making some licorice before the First World War, but it was just a a division of of the plant. They didn't really get serious about licorice until 1940, when it looked like sugar rationing was going to make it impossible to keep on making caramels and chocolates and things like that. So they had to figure something out, so they went to all licorice, and then they never went back.
0: So am I making this up in my head? But when I was a kid, I remember there – I don't know if this was a separate store or if it was part of Switzer's, but that I would go to this store, by the Eads bridge mm-hmm. and that you could buy licorice there, the switzer's licorice and and it would sometimes be warm, like it had just was hot off the press, if you will. <laughs> um,
1: I don't know if it was actually a store, but 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 people would come by the factory and 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 buy licorice, you know pretty much right off the in fact, when we were kids we would uh, go into the uh, into the, the drying rooms where it was still drying before it was packaged and we just grab off a chunk
0: oh, and uh, yum
1: and, and eat it it was really good and back then everything was black it, they didn't start they introducing didn't but they didn't yeah that was in the like in the late 50s where they started introducing introducing red and uh, then they started doing whips and lariats and bites and you know all kinds of other all kinds of other other candies. It's kind of interesting how it started. My great-grandfather, Joe Murphy, was born in Dublin during the potato famine. Okay. And his can, his family had a candy shop in Dublin. I've actually been to the address and seen where, where it was. And it was in downtown Dublin. Uh, so he grew up uh, working in the candy store. And then in the 1860s, he got involved in the Irish Freedom Movement. At that time, Ireland had been occupied for like 700 years by the English. And there were these constant efforts, you know, armed rebellion, you know. So he was in an armed rebellion in 1867, right outside of Dublin. And they didn't, it was suppressed. They always were suppressed, it seems. And then uh, he got away, but they found his name on a list. And if they were, if they found him, they were going to hang him. So he was 20 years old and got on a boat in steerage and came to America Ended up in St. Louis with nothing. All he knew how to do was make candy. And he married a woman named Margaret Switzer, and she had a brother named Fred Switzer. So, you know, Fred grew up on the streets of Cary Passion. and was a pretty smart kid. And uh, he was, you know, selling various things on the street. Well, Margaret had the idea of combining her husband's ability to make candy with a brother's ability to sell stuff. And so they started cooking candy in their tenement Uh, kitchen and Murphy made the stuff and and uh, Fred sold it and they in the 18 around 1886 they moved into a factory on first street right about where the right between the legs of the Gateway Arch would be now. Okay. Before before they tore all those buildings down in the 40s. And uh, they made all different kinds of candy. And and, uh, the reason it it went from being Murphy Switzer Candy Company to Switzer Candy Company is in 1893, there was a big depression, sort of like the 1930s depression. Okay. It was called the Panic of 93. And uh, the company went bankrupt. And Fred Switzer and his sister bought it out of bankruptcy and okay. and ever after that for three generations later the switzers owned it and the murphys worked as the production people
0: gotcha. so I'm like the first
1: I'm the first murphy who hasn't worked at the factory
0: I'm telling you yeah. so, and and it, the factory's no longer there but where is the factory now
1: well it the factory the factory blew down in 2006 okay. there was a big storm and you know it's right there by the eads bridge so it was a yeah. big deal and it was just beyond saving, and in, in, it, it had been abandoned for like twenty years. Okay. Uh, in the 1970s, they moved the operation to a place on Broadway, just a few blocks away on Broadway.
0: Okay.
1: So, so it was deserted for years, and uh, then in 2007, it was so so messed up that they just tore it, tore it down. But uh, it was totally out of business. the The company in, in the 60s was sold. To a corporation, which sold it to another corporation, and it ended up at Hershey's, owned by Hershey's. Hershey had another licorice product called the Twizzler. So, yeah, so they just killed and stopped making a Switzer licorice altogether. So the reason it's around today is that Mike Switzer and his partner Dan Warner, uh, a friend of mine, uh, they bought the Hershey, they bought the trademark from Hershey. And started the company back up again. So they don't actually manufacture it in St. Louis, but it's headquartered in St. Louis. Okay. And they make a whole different kinds of switches licorice now. They make the black, but they also make new exotic flavors that sort of pop and zing like lemonade licorice and cherry cola licorice and things like that. So it's back. I mean, which is kind of an amazing story because at one time there was no idea that it would ever be, you know, back on the racks. And, right. Now it is. you can get it at uh, Deerberg's and Straub's and Cracker Barrel, and it's distributed nationally. And um, uh, Straub's and Cracker Barrel, Dollar Tree, they have like 9,000 oh, stores.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. And
1: the only place that isn't selling it now is... Uh, Schnooks. I don't know what that's all about.
0: (laughs) They should, they should distribute it. Maybe I should take Schnooks in this and be like, guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's
0: a St. Louis thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every St. Louis store I think should be selling St. Louis Lake Ridge. Yeah. So Swiss has got this great tradition, and it's it's amazing now that the book is out. You know, how many people have been in contact with you seeing telling me all these personal stories about how they love? Swissers licorice and how it was a part of their childhood and growing up. And but actually
0: love to know people's stories. I mean, I think that because if if you were around at that, I mean, we all loved it. And I mean, I remember I remember where the you know going by the factory and and buying licorice and whatever. But then there was also a gentleman in my neighborhood who worked there, and I do not remember this man's name, but what I do remember was every Halloween. Yeah. He gave you a full-out package of black yeah. and red licorice. You stopped by that house. On yeah, definitely, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, I hear a lot of stories like that. Not just in St. Louis either, but all over the country because really? it was distributed. It was distributed everywhere. Yeah. Is there
0: any story? <clears throat> excuse me, that comes up that you think that was a really cool story?
1: Yeah. Well, there's one story about uh, after World War II. There was a woman named Alice Phelps young woman, about 18 years old, 19 years old. And she started working at, at the factory. Most of the people who worked at the factory always were women. And they're the ones that organized the unions. And, and uh, I mean, so it's called candy men because the men in my family always describe themselves as candy men.
0: Okay. But, yeah,
1: but yeah. women, women play a really important part of this story. There was a woman named, a young woman named Alice Phelps, who uh, worked at the factory. And at the time, this surprised me, there was a no talking rule at the factory. You weren't supposed to talk unless it was related somehow to to your job. So Alice was kind of a talker and she started a few weeks into the job talking to the women, whispering in, in their off shifts and on their way to the plant or on their way back home that on a particular Monday, they would just start talking in defiance of this rule. So the day came, people started talking, you know, very scared at first. Then the men started talking, and the entire factory was just chatting away. So um, Switzer uh, halted the entire production line, gave a speech about how that was totally unacceptable, but people didn't stop. It was like this little revolution. Ah. And uh, it's really cool. Nobody turned her in. Nobody ratted on her. Nobody knew that it, was, that it was her until years later. And I heard this story from someone who had worked at, at the factory. And in fact, she went on to became the main shop steward decades later. And they even named one of the big kettles in the basement where they cooked the licorice, Big Alice. Oh, how so,
0: fun. Yeah, nice way no to be honored. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't yeah. sound like it's very fun to work if you can't, or you'd have to talk in code. Like, I guess <laughs> oh, so uh did you have licorice for dinner last night
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of, we had a lot of licorice around the house and any of the kids in the neighborhood who came by always got licorice oh. and yeah yeah and Popular
0: it was house right it was it
1: was yeah and again it was just so much fun to actually go down there and uh you know eat the licorice and hang out around the factory I loved all the noise and the motion you know and the movement and and the boxes sailing out the doors into the trucks on, on First Street. And at the time when I was, you know, I mean I'm old enough to actually remember eating licorice on the on the roof of the factory and watching them build the arch. That would have been really? in the mid-sixties, 63, 64, I guess. Yeah, and it was kind of fun. I mean that's a that's real cool. that's a that's a St. Louis memory, eating switches of licorice and watching them build the arch. No
0: kidding. So, th- did you get to see it being made too? Like did you get to get into the watch factory oh, yeah. floor or anything?
1: Oh yeah, we were we were everywhere. We had sort of full reign of the place since my dad worked there. But yeah, down in the basement they put all this stuff, you know, like licorice extract and and molasses and it was like this bubbling cauldron of, you know, of liquids, these giant giant kettles, these vats. And then they take it out and they'd let it cool for like a couple of days. It took like four days to make a batch of licorice. Okay. And then they would, uh, it'd, it'd be like in, uh, you know, 150 pound trays, you know, like a little, and it would gel, it would, it would be hardened. And then they'd run it up to the top floors and then gravity driven, get cut into pieces and then dried and then packaged. Yeah, we saw every aspect of it. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, how cool. So you just got the gumption one day. It was time to write a book about this. It's yeah, a St. Louis story, I'm sure, but I love that there's people around the world going, hey, I got a Switzer story.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm hearing now from Murphy cousins all around the country and Switzer cousins from all over, because we're cousins because our great-grandparents
0: right, yeah. you know, got
1: married. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun connecting you know, with family and people from, from other cities, I didn't quite. I knew it was one of the biggest licorice manufacturers in the country, but I didn't realize that it had permeated so many people's lives. You know, in so many different different parts of it. But it is definitely an, uh, a St. Louis story. Uh, it's a it's an immigrant story. You know, the whole Carey right. Patch. You know, Irish uh, uh, trying to break in, get a piece of the American dream. You know, that kind of story, and it's a nice, you know, historical tale because. You know, it it was very much affected by historical forces in St. Louis, like um, uh, the the, the Great Depression. Candy did great during the Depression because it was inexpensive. You know, people could afford it, any candy. Well,
0: and it it makes you happy.
1: It does. It does. (laughs) And Mike Mike Switzer, who now is, you know, partner in the company, uh, he describes it as one of the first consumer decisions that people ever make when you were a kid you know your parents give you a nickel or a dime now days maybe it's a quarter or a dollar i don't know and send you down to the you know the store and and it's your choice to buy the candy that you want
0: yeah. you bought candy and
1: you know we all had that experience as kids going down there with a quarter or whatever and it's the first consumer decision that a lot of us ever make as kids
0: that is so true do i
1: want do i want this penny candy or that penny candy or do i want to get maids or you know <laughs> mary janes or jujubes or you Know what, whatever it is, and the, the candy business was really competitive in St. Louis, too. There were like a hundred different candy companies,
0: were they the really
1: at the turn of the century? Yeah,
0: are there any that still remain other than Switzer's? Uh,
1: Mavrakos. Mavrakos is still around, that was founded by a Greek gentleman named Mavrakos.
0: Okay, and
1: uh, what do they
0: uh, make? I don't know really uh, know this one.
1: They make chocolate, Mavracos, yeah, they make chocolate. And caramels and, you know, like okay. boxes of, of candy. Uh, Vincent Price, the horror yes. story, the horror actor, uh, his father also named Vincent Price senior had a, uh, had a, a big company called the national candy company. And uh, uh, there aren't as many as there were then. Of course, a lot of companies like, you know, Hershey's and have, you know, have bought up these companies, these little okay, companies, yeah, yeah. but all the way up until 1966, it was just a family operation, Switzer's and the Murphys, generation after generation.
0: Well, Bissinger's, that, that's St. Louis, right?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Okay, right.
1: Uh, but I'm not sure where Bissinger's was founded. I,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, right I off the bat, I'm not sure. you should write a book about that.
1: Uh, yeah, Bissinger's, write a book about that. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could just yeah. do a whole candy series. Yeah, I mean. it
1: was fun getting a lot of pictures. Got a, uh, there are like over 100, fo- almost 100 photos in the book,
0: are there a lot of really?
1: from the Switzer family, some from the Murphy family, you know, Missouri Historical Society, and and uh, you know, just uh, I think it's fun to have a lot of photographs. I think people like I do like looking at photographs.
0: Oh my gosh, yes, I got to yeah. see them. I have to get this book. I haven't gotten it yet, but I so oh I'm want sorry, to. yeah, <laughs> well no, I'm going to because I think okay. it sounds amazing.
1: So, well, it's in books. It's in bookstores, and you can get it at Amazon, the usual places, or you can go to the website um, CandyMendTheBook.com, dot com and order it there. CandyMendTheBook.com. Yeah. So lots of different ways to uh, lots of ways to get it. It's kind of kind of a nice cover. It's,
0: Let's see it.
1: Yeah, there's the cover.
0: Very cool. And
1: that's that's a picture from eighteen eight, about eighteen eighty four of the people who worked at the candy well, company. Yeah.
0: So did so. Did you get to like? Did you interview different people for the book? Like, was there anyone that you talked to? I mean, other than Alice, that was really interesting.
1: Well, Alice actually, I talked to somebody who knew Alice. Alice had passed uh, away. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah And yeah, uh, I interviewed a whole bunch of Switzers and uh, Switzers who are older than I am who remember a lot of the stories and could talk about their uh, their grandfather, the original. Fred Switzer, you know, from Carrie Patch. And uh, I uh, interviewed uh, a couple of people who worked at the factory, one of them who was responsible for how the factory was made. And I had a lot of family stories that I grew up listening to as a kid. And then I I talked to the Switzers, and I compared the Murphy's version of the stories with the Switzer version (laughs) of the stories, and they were very much the same. Oh, cool. And then I was really fortunate because back in 1967... My great uncle, Uncle Fred, he was born in 1887, grew up in Cary Patch, worked at the factory before the First World War and afterwards, and he had all of these family stories. And in 1967, my dad and his brother recorded like four hours of him telling family stories and factory stories. So that, that was a great source. And it no turned kidding. out that my great grandfather, who came over from Ireland, uh, one of his hobbies in the 1890s was photography. So this guy from Ireland took pictures on glass plates, and some of those photographs are still around today.
0: Oh, how cool! I know.
1: And then one of the one 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 of the amazing things that happened was um, I found a canister of eight millimeter film and. Uh, just with my parents' things in a, in, a, in a box with a bunch of other stuff. So I could hardly wait to get a, a projector and see no what was kidding. on it.
0: What well, it? it
1: turned all it, all it said on the outside of the canister was Murphy's, 1930. So I put it in and I saw that what it was, it was eight minutes of the entire family, including the old guy from Ireland, in the front yard of Webster Groves on Lockwood, all standing there mugging with the, with getting their picture taken on, on movie film. So I'm turning this into a, into an hour long program for channel nine now. Cool. And and to have that film is wonderful.
0: No. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. So have you started on it?
1: Yeah. yeah I'm, first I'm writing the script and then, I'm, you know, the interviews that I did before, now I need them on, you know, video I love and it. then I'll lay in the pictures. But, I should have it finished by June.
0: Very cool. Oh my gosh, I love it. I've got yeah, it's questions. Fun. Can I ask you my my kind of wacky questions? Sure. <laughs> so, other than licorice, do you have any other favorite candies?
1: Yeah, good and plenty. Oh,
0: God. which, which, is, is, kind licorice, which yeah, is kind of like licorice. Which know? is kind of which is
1: kind of licorice. Um so but
0: good and plenty are awesome. They're like Actually,
1: good and plenty was one time made by Switzer's. After it was was bought by a corporation and they brought in other candies the good and Plenty's was really failing because somebody put like a jelly like substance in the middle of it and switzer swapped it out and put hard licorice in it right and and sales you know went through the roof so they kind of saved good and plenty but you know we also like for like birthdays and anniversaries and things like that yeah we'll get we'll get a box of like you know bissinger's and you know, with the little caramels and, you oh, know, the yeah. chocolate and stuff. But, yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of good candy out there. We eat some real junk as kids, too. I think we'd go to the movie theater and we'd get – have you ever called this stuff like Licamate's? Maybe okay, a little enough
0: in- Oh my little-
1: god! Because those,
0: because the little the the thing that you use to get yeah. the powder out that has a vanilla flavor and yeah, oh my god. I, love I mean, this stuff.
1: I mean, I mean, we you know when we were kids, we go to like you know the movies at, at the neighborhood movie theater and get licorice. I think they were a nickel back then, and we'd eat them. And they're like, I mean, they've they've got to be just the worst thing for your body oh, in just, the world.
0: I don't. I don't think it's like pure
1: says- <laughs> pure sugar. It's, it's like.
0: like sugar that you have a sugar stick and you deliver it into your system <laughs> yeah
1: it's like when i was a kid we had a we had like a, a a deli in our neighborhood and there would be honest it sounds like something from another century but there would be this barrel of and it would be it would be long strips of paper with little candy dots dropped on it and you'd pick the paper i remember
0: and those and you'd end up eating some of the paper
1: oh always yeah always. but but i mean nowadays i mean can you imagine the health violations of going into a into a store, pulling out of a barrel a strip of paper and yeah, eating a candy,
0: especially now. Yet, that'd be a big no no. We'd
1: kidding. ride our bikes there without a helmet and eat poison candy yeah. out of the barrel, and yet we survived.
0: <laughs> I we know. Survived. I did the same thing as a kid. I mean, I would ride my bike over to the candy store, that's where I yeah. spent my allowance, yeah. and uh, yeah, no helmet, and you know, yeah. riding in the backseat of cars without. We'd be sleeping. Hey, the ultimate, the <laughs> ultimate trick would be to,
1: to eat licomades while you're running behind the DDD truck spraying for mosquitoes.
0: I think we just let's just do this.
1: The ultimate 1950s, 1960s childhood experience. Yeah, you know, what the heck? I mean, you know, like I've lived to be pretty old so I know, far. I
0: know somehow we survived. I don't yes. know. I mean, it's good that we have these safety things. Maybe it was all, all that switches licorice.
1: Maybe it was the switches.
0: That, Switchers you licorice. know what, there's something to the licorice oils, I think, that protected us in many ways.
1: Well, at one time, I mean, like uh, 2,000 years ago, licorice, it grows in, like in uh, Iran and Turkey and that part of the world. Okay. The licorice plant from which they get the licorice root and extract, you know, the, the, the licorice juice. <laughs> and it's 50 times sweeter than sugar. And that's why it was a good substitute for for sugar God, during the war.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, it was used like uh, like uh, I think Julius Caesar drank it as a health a health drink, you well, know? And, supposed
0: to be healthy for you, licorice tea. Yeah. yeah
1: I think it is. Yeah. Very and, cool. but, I mean, like you and I love it. Some people don't. And I
0: know. I love I mean, especially cuz people are like ooh, black licorice is so gross. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's so good."
1: Yeah, well, can <laughs> I have yours then? You know, I mean, <laughs> I'll take yeah. that. Yeah, nothing gross. And they used to make they used to make licorice pipes and licorice cigarettes so the kids could have, you know. When you were kids, you ever have candy cigarettes?
0: Oh yeah, I remember those. That was an awesome idea.
1: Very incorrect.
0: But <laughs> it was just cool to hang around the corner now they just call them candy sticks. Like I've seen them before. No, but they had they looked
1: like little cigarettes. They had little yes, red the little sugar red or something. So it looked it. like they were. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, what it all starts with. It starts with candy a good candy idea. cigarettes. And before you know it, you're Smoking the real stuff.
0: (laughs) Ah, the things. I think they still kind of do that in some ways. Like start kids out early with something. It's a great idea.
1: Oh sure, yeah, yeah. That's
0: just that's just terrible and hilarious at the same time. So you have many skills, sir. Thank you. Do you you have a skill that is this untapped, like some wacky, crazy skill that we don't know about?
1: Well, I, I well last time i was on the show we talked about you know wood prints and and art and yeah. you know i'm still still doing that it's it's hard to exhibit now you know with the pandemic all the all the shows and even a lot of the galleries and places have kind of closed down but you know i'm still still making it and uh, you know starting to uh, add color now to the wood prints too before they were like you know, black, black and, and white, white. Yeah,
0: right, and I was right. into the
1: into the contrast of the black and white. But now I started adding pastels to it as well, and adding some color to them, and that's kind of fun. And I mean, art a passion is
0: passion for you. You just, I love it.
1: And uh, Re- Reedy Press was the the publisher of this book, and they are such a pleasure to to work with. And they asked me uh, just a few weeks ago to write a second book, and that's going to come out next. Well, it's it's not going to come out i'm going to give it to them in in next september uh they want a big coffee table book with lots of pictures and lots of vignettes and things about uh the irish in st louis
0: how cool yes
1: and next year maybe we can get together and talk about that of
0: course we will yeah no but that's that's,
1: that that is a really interesting history and i guess you know the irish uh, the um swissers and the murphys were irish so and i already know a lot about carry patch and and uh is
0: Cary patch uh, still
1: no around? it's it's pretty much flattened it's it's where Pruitt, I go was your okay. Kerry patch All right. but it, but if you just go if you just go a couple of blocks up from washington to like milanfee and biddle and and it, it, the borders have changed since the 1840s to 1900 but but it was it was basically from about i don't know maybe 4th 5th 6th street you know, all the way towards, towards Jefferson. And it was, I mean, I've read all these old newspaper articles about Carry Patch. It was just a horrible place. Just really wow. tough, but it had, it had like three parishes in it. it had, uh, and the, the churches, you know, gave it some, I mean, it was all Catholic right. and all Irish. And so there, you know, there was some stability to it, but it was just kind of a rough place. It was,
0: just wow. great
1: place to get your butt kicked, <laughs> you know. Yeah, It may
0: be good that Carrie Patch isn't around anymore.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess, but I mean, also like any other place with a lot of personality, it you know, it's people are very nostalgic about it now. Yeah, and you know, pe- it's one of those places that people are very proud to be from. You know, well,
0: it could, probably because, like, look, I survived it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's like you know, it, it, it's like that. It's, it's something to Carrie patch. Something, but you know, and, and then and then later. Um, I mean it's just been a, a neighborhood with a lot of poverty in it, you know, ever since. It was it was um the, I mean the Irish then they moved out and then Eastern Europeans moved in and then uh and then African Americans and the Great Migration moved in and there was discrimination, redlining and you know, so many bad things that it's been a neighborhood that has been, you know, just really had a tough time over over the years and now they're gonna put that big that big center there, the big uh, geo. <clears throat>
0: yes. Yes. Yeah, I've map seen that making being built. Wow. Place. Right.
1: But I was, I was up there uh, a few months ago, just driving around, just trying to get, see if there was anything standing really that, that, you know, I could use in the book or if there was an address where maybe my family lived and that there aren't many. In fact, there are a couple of places where you can just look and see just nothing but flattened, land for blocks Got, yeah. i mean everybody ought to just kind of get in the car every once in a while and drive through north st louis and yeah
0: it's very interesting no we yeah i mean my daughter and i are we like to every once in a while just hop in the car and just explore what's around a, the city there's lo- so much a lot of history know.
1: you know there's the, the polish neighborhood up around st stan yep and then there were the germans to the south of market street And then the Irish. And my great-grandfather said, you just didn't wander out of your own neighborhood. It was, you just didn't. You know, it just wasn't safe. Got ya. Yeah. So So kind of like we're
0: insulated a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, back then people kind of hung out with their own people because it was just, you know, it was just tough. It was tough. You know, all these immigrants and people, the Irish were at least lucky because they spoke English. I mean, it was a lot harder for people like... Germans or Italians or Polish or Eastern European to, to become Americans because they had to learn English. Right. I mean, right. the Irish just, once they lost their accent, you know, they could kind of fit right in.
0: My grandpa but, was from Poland. I mean, my yeah. grandpa is Polish. And so in his mom, I mean, when I was growing up, so my great-great-grandma, um, she only spoke Polish. She never ever, ever spoke any English. Really? No. I'm,
1: my mom's side of the family is German, and uh, I remember my great-grandmother when I was a kid. She forgot her English and, start, and started speaking German, but she was born in South St. Louis, and in her neighborhood, they just spoke German.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, My grandfather didn't speak English till he went to school. So I love I mean,
0: that you know all this history.
1: I mean, I'm just interested in it, just kind of you know, picking up, but, but it was fun to take all the stories that I heard as a kid I mean, my, my family was, they were storytellers. And I actually, I heard these stories so many times that I had the feeling that I knew people who had died before I was born. You know, they just, right. and uh, they just kept these stories alive. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that other people are interested in them. You know, I think.
0: Well, and that's a tradition you've kept up. You didn't, you didn't make candy, but you are a storyteller.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think well, yeah, you know, that's kind of what we were doing at Channel Nine, and you know, telling, telling stories. People like stories. I mean, stories, people, stories yes. are really important, I think, to people. Everybody likes to listen to stories, and well, a lot so of people how you
0: learn. I think it's one of the best ways to learn. And I mean, you've told so many stories over the years. Is is there another one that you're like, this is an awesome one that you guys should go back and listen to or watch the documentary or what have you.
1: It was, uh, it was a big deal when they moved into the plant in, in 1911, they moved into the, they moved from where the arch was, you know, they tore all those buildings down starting in 1940 so that they could build the arch. They didn't know they were going to build an arch. They knew they were going to build something there, some kind of national park, but, uh, you know, they moved in in 1911 into, into that factory. And, uh, that was kind of a big. That was kind of a big deal because the factory was built in the 1870s. It was originally they made stoves there, so it's like this huge brick five-story building with these giant oak timbers in it. Oh, wow! And you know it was twice the size of. of uh, and it was interesting reading about how they moved in and how they how they turned this factory into sort of an iconic St. Louis before it had Switzers on the this is interesting before they made licorice in world war you know world war ii of course they made all these other different kinds and one of their big products was something called the Buttermilk. the Buttermilk. it was like a, a caramel and uh. it, it was a really big seller. and i found this picture from about 1920 where switzer's is off in the background and there are all of these buildings in the foreground of course there's no arch and you can see the river in the background and when i looked real closely it said Switzer's home of buttermilk on it. So they've been using that sign to advertise products long before
0: Good idea. We
1: today remember. And of course when they were building the arch there were so many pictures taken of that part of town and in many of them peeking out in the background is Switzer's licorice because it was right because exactly. it was right there. You know it, it witnessed, you know, the, the you know the whole the whole thing. But it's so uh cool. Yeah, and it was interesting reading about the depression. There was a they, they called them Hoovervilles. It was uh, it was just shacks and boxes and and little communities that were built uh, because there were so many homeless people during the depression in the nineteen thirties. Right. And and the one in St. Louis was one of the biggest in the country. The name Hooverville, which you know we hear about Hoovervilles after President Hoover, uh, the term was coined here in St. Louis. I didn't know that. And there was there was this homeless village that extended along the riverfront for over a mile.
0: Wow,
1: yeah. And I mean, they didn't have electricity or water or you know anything. It, it's just amazing to to think of how many of how our city has in some ways changed and in some ways remained the same.
0: Yeah, no kidding. over I mean, this long interesting
1: this long period of time. And it was interesting reading about the discrimination against Catholics. People were really afraid that this invasion of Catholics was going to completely change America, and and it's something you know you kind of hear about today, right? Not with Catholics, but you know with with, you know other people who are who are different from uh, us.
0: Accept things, yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, and uh,
1: and you know, there's there's just this fear, you know, that these people. Of course, now, I mean, now it is. Not unusual at all to be Irish Catholic, you right. know. Yeah, right. In fact, one day a year, everybody's Irish.
0: Everybody's Irish. Everybody's exactly.
1: Irish, you know.
0: <laughs> well, Patrick, I thank you for spending this time with me today. I well, love well, thank it. you. This is, is fun. It's so always fun to get together, to catch up with you, and learn what you are up to. And I, I love. I can't. I love the book. Thank you for doing that for us. It's
1: well, this awesome was a lot of fun, so and was, yeah, and thank you for teaching me. How do you use Zoom? (laughs) Look
0: at us Zooming here. We're so cool. We're so with it. A new skill. I'm
1: a Zoomer. I'm a Zoomer now. Yeah. Hey, thank you. And uh, a good way to get the book if you're interested out there is CandyMenTheBook.com. And we have candy elves right there waiting to put one in an envelope, (laughs) drop it in the mail just for you.
0: Awesome. All right, Mitch,
1: see you later. Thank you. Patrick
0: Murphy, have an awesome day. (laughs) Everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash. We love you. Have an awesome Awesome one. Go get the book. Bye.